grab a Bible, open a Bible up to John chapter 6. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I would encourage you to get a Bible, though, because this is going to be a little bit different style of how I'm preaching today. A lot of, a lot of verses to go through today. Uh, but we're in verses 35 through 59 in chapter 6. You know, the other night, after Paul and I finished supper, tell me if you've ever had this problem. You finish a meal, you finish supper, about an hour later, I'm hungry. You ever have that, that like, I'm just not satisfied, and you start going through the cupboard, you start going through the, the refrigerator looking for something, and, and I got, I mean, I'm glad I didn't give in to the, to the temptation, but man, it was like nine o'clock, I was about to call Genesio's and order a cheeseburger and fries, and because I was just not satisfied. My hunger was not satisfied. And um, I'm sure we can all relate to that because I'm sure you've probably had times where you've eaten a meal and pretty soon you're like, I, I need some more grub. I need something else. Well, that's actually where we are in John chapter six. Um, let me refresh your memory. But remember, John chapter six is where Jesus performs the miracle of multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish for several thousand people. And uh, he multiplies them in such a capacity that these people ate to their fill. They were full. And then there was 12 baskets of leftovers. So these people's bellies had enough food in them that they didn't need any, any more. But you know what happened? They got hungry again. Because it says the next day they went after Jesus. They went looking for him. And when they found Jesus, Jesus looks at this crowd and says, Look, you guys are searching for me for the wrong reason. You're just wanting another meal. You want more bread to, that I can give you. And what Jesus does from verse 25 all the way through verse 59 is his, this long sermon he's preaching, basically telling these people, you don't need more physical bread. You need spiritual bread. He goes, because the real hunger you're dealing with, yeah, their physical hunger was legitimate. It was real. We all have those real hungers. But he's like, the deeper hunger goes past your physical hunger. You don't need any more physical bread. You need a spiritual bread. And what he is trying to show these people is that he is that bread. He has come to satisfy a deeper hunger. And here's the reality. These people had a real hunger. And the real hunger they had was a spiritual hunger. very rich. Are they ever satisfied? They seem like they just got to have more. Okay. I, I need, I need to make another dollar because the million I have isn't enough. I need to, I need millionaires strive to become what? A billionaire. They're not satisfied. The money doesn't, there's something, there's a hunger in them. Why is it that people who are, you know, you can be single and the hunger that they feel like is if I just had could get married. And if I could just have a family, that would, that would, but then you get people who get married and what happens? They have affairs and then they get divorced and then they get married again and divorced and married again and divorced and married again. And they have multiple marriage, but oh, what's wrong? There's a hunger that's not being satisfied. It's, you look at like Facebook and social media you know, people post things and what, let's be real. Are you just hoping somebody will give me that thumbs up on your post? The little heart emoji, you know, oh, I got a heart. People are loving this. How many people like, look at me, I've got 10,000 friends, but yet still feel lonely. Why? Because we are trying to take, take bread, physical outward bread and trying to satisfy an inward hunger. And it doesn't work. And people go through life hungry, never satisfied. And that's what Jesus is showing us here in these verses. From 35, you know, we looked at 20, we, we got up to verse 35 last week. We're going to look at 35 through 30, 59 today. But it's the same thing Jesus is talking about. You've got a hunger. 
And if you're trying to satisfy a hunger, a spiritual hunger, with worldly means, with temporal things, with, with bread that's out here, you'll never get satisfied. Now today, and this is why I would encourage you to have a Bible, I'm approaching these verses. It's a pretty large, you know, pretty, pretty big group of, of, of a text here. And I'm going to approach it differently. I'm not going to go through verse by verse and preach through these 20-some verses because Jesus does this. He just repeats himself over and over and over again. He's basically just saying the same thing in one message. I wish I could get up here and preach a message, and I just keep saying the same thing. And two minutes, I'm saying the same thing. I just keep saying the same thing. But that's what Jesus is doing here. He's just, he's just driving one nail. And that one nail is this. I am the bread that will satisfy a hunger in you that you can't get from anything else. So I'm going to approach this differently, but I do want to read the text because maybe you haven't read this before or maybe you haven't read it in a while. I want to read it so you can understand what, what's going on here, what Jesus is saying, and why this would have been such a big deal for the people he's talking to. So let's start with verse 35, and let me just read all the way through 59. So Jesus said to them, this crowd that he had been talking to, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that, I have, that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, who was father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written by the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for, for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on the flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. It's a lot of stuff right there, isn't it? Now you can kind of hope you see why I'm kind of doing this differently. But do you see how Jesus just keeps repeating himself? He just keeps saying like a few things over and over and over and over. And to these people, it was shocking, okay? Because they're like, whoa, time out, dude. We know where bread comes from and you're not it. And we know your mom and dad. And how in the world can you say you've come down from heaven? And he was blowing these people away by what he was saying. But what he was saying was to their need. And they didn't understand that. He was looking beyond the temporal and the, 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 the temporary bread of what you can eat to the heart of the matter. And that's where he was going. And just as he was doing that with these people, we need to see the same thing. 
And so today, I've entitled my message, God's Action, Our Application. And so I'm really going to break all these verses up into two main categories. We're going to look at what God did, his actions, and then what we do, our application. And now here's the thing. As I go through these verses, I'm hoping my prayer has been this, and it's kind of twofold. One, maybe you're here today and you already, you've read this, you know these verses, and for you, you're like, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I know this stuff. Then here's my prayer, is that these verses will be a nail driven deeper in your faith. It just will drive you deeper in your faith with God. Or maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're listening online and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. That this would be that goad that will move you in that direction. That you'll see what God did and what you must do and that it will move you. So let's first look at God's action. We're looking at four things about God's action. Here's the first one. The provision. What we see in these verses is a provision. And we see it in multiple places. So again, this is where I'm just, I'm not preaching through it. I'm just going to show you different verses. So you got to keep up with me. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Look at verse 40. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, believes in him, shall have, shall, not, shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Look at verse 51. Or, I'm sorry, verse 48. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Look at now verse 58. And Jesus says, This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of your fathers and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So he keeps just saying the same thing. I'm the bread of life. I've come down from heaven. This is the will of Father. That I, he's, like, he's like, God sent me from heaven, and I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. How many of you think that's confusing to understand? If you were listening to this, put, your, put yourself in these people's shoes. Would you be confused at this point? You're like, dude, you're a man. How in the world are you bread? Okay, but Jesus is trying to explain something here. He's like, I have come down from heaven for a reason, for a purpose, for a provision. And he is the bread that provides something. So in order to understand, to really appreciate this provision in Christ, we got to understand the problem. Okay, because Jesus came down from heaven, not just because Okay, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were not like together in in heaven going, you know what? We're bored. Let's stir the the pot a little bit. Jesus, why don't you just go down and just do some stuff and wow everybody? He came down to earth for a reason, for a purpose. Okay, he is a provision. He is bread. Okay, he's bread for life. What does that mean? That he is the bread of life. It's the provision for a purpose. And you got to understand the problem. The problem is this, is that humanity is what? Sinful. Humanity is, we're sinners, okay? Jesus wants to be the bread because of sin. You see, here's the thing. Sin separates us from God. We all understand, I hope you understand that you were designed to have a relationship with God. You were created and designed to have a relationship with God. God created humanity not because he was bored. He created humanity. When he made Adam and Eve, he made Adam and Eve for one purpose. What was it? Fellowship. To have a relationship with these people. He wanted a relationship with humanity. He wanted to love humanity. He wanted to be a father to humanity. Okay? You were designed and created to to find purpose in life in God. But guess what happened? Because of sin, our relationship, the design was distorted. The relationship was ruined. 
Sin severed the relationship between humanity and God. Sin broke our relationship. Sin separates us from God. God is over here. We are over here. And there is a great chasm between us and God. The, human, the relationship between humanity and God is broken. And why do people feel lost? Why do they feel empty? Why do they feel like there's a void? Because the relationship we are supposed to have with God, the relationship that you are designed to have with God is gone. And if that is gone, why do you feel disconnected in the world? Why do so many people try to find purpose in life through my job? We try to find purpose in life through a relationship. We try to find purpose in, in, in life through our money, through whatever means. That, that's not where I find. But we, we, we get more money. We still feel lost. We have more relationships, but we still feel empty. We still have everything the world can give us. But man, there's something wrong. And, and I don't care if people want to acknowledge it or not. The reality is... Because of sin, your design purpose is done. It's lost. It's gone. And because you don't have a connection with God, there is an emptiness in you, a spiritual brokenness. And so what do we do? We try to fill that void, that emptiness inside, by taking the bread of life, more money, I'll shove that in. More relationships, I'll shove that in. More power, I'll shove that in. More fame, I'll shove that in. More popularity, I'll shove that in. That, and guess what? Do they satisfy for a, for a temporary time? Sure they do. I'm not gonna sit up here and tell you it doesn't. Tell, trust me, if you became an instant millionaire, you'd feel satisfied. But eventually that, 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 that hunger would come back because you'd be like, I'd like to have a little more of this. The things of the world satisfy. But all of a sudden, you start to get hungry. All of a sudden, there's like, man, I'm just not satisfied. I ate a great meal the other night because I made it. <laughs> Paul is always telling us, she's like, we never have to go out to eat because you are such a great cook. I love my wife. But... I ate this really good meal, but in a couple hours, I was not satisfied. And there I was rummaging through the cupboards, trying to find a cookie, trying to find something to put back in my mouth. You see, that's the spiritual part. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You don't have real life apart from Christ. Because it's only him that puts us back in a right relationship with God. It's not until you and I have that right relationship with God that we truly find life. Jesus is the provision because he's the bread of life. Here's the second thing. We have the provision, but we also have the promise. Again, Jesus repeats himself there are two promises that just keep jumping out in these verses. Here's the first promise, and it's eternal life. The first promise is eternal life. So if you look at verse 40, he says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Look at verse 47. Whoever believes has eternal life. Look at verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. But you'll have life if you don't die. In verse 51, he says, um, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven and if ever, anyone who eats the bread, he will live forever. And then verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of your fathers who died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is talking about this idea of eternal life, living forever, you know, not dying. The reality is this, and here's what you, and, and, and this is what the world doesn't want to acknowledge. The reality is this every single one of us, every single person is on the road to spiritual death. 
that's, that is your, that's the automatic road you're on. Okay. Huh? No, spiritual death. Physical death, but spiritual death. You're on the road to hell. That's, your, that's, that's the road you're on apart from Christ. There's, there's no way off of it, okay? The world is going to say one of two things. Um, this is, people have usually two thoughts. One is people who don't believe in hell or believe in God, believe in Jesus. You just die and you're done. Whatever, just nihilism, you're done. The other train of thought is this. Everybody goes to heaven, except for really, really, really bad people. Maybe they go to hell. But everybody else goes to heaven. You see, the world says everybody is on the road to heaven automatically. No, you're not. You, because of sin, are on a road automatically to spiritual death. You see, that's why Jesus says, whoever eats of this bread has life. He says, I have come that I am the bread of life. If you eat of my, this bread, you have eternal life. You will live forever. So the, the, the question's got to be asked is, what is the opposite of life? Death. If you don't have eternal life, you have what? Eternal death. Okay? But Jesus is like, I've come that you can have eternal life. So if you don't have eternal life, you will have eternal death. Eternal death is just eternal separation, eternal lostness, eternal, I, I am not with God ever again. That's eternal death. And the reality is that's the road we're all on. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life. You see, Jesus says, he says not in this text, but in, in, in the other place, he says, I have come to seek and save sinners. To seek and save the lost. You see, the book of Romans chapter 3 says that there is no one right before God because of sin. The Romans chapter 3 says that we are all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. That means we're separated from God. And Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death. Spiritual death. Spiritual separation from God. But the promise that Jesus says, he goes, if you will eat the bread that I'm offering you, me, if you will eat me, the bread of life, you'll have eternal life. Eternal life is simply life with God in heaven. One of my favorite verses that I, I, I just love to read because it shows what you and I will experience is Hebrews chapter 12. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion. This is, this is what the writer of Hebrews is describing, like what a believer, when he enters into the eternal kingdom of God of heaven. He says, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. He's just describing when you enter into heaven, here's what you're going to see. The holy city. You're going to see angels, thousands upon thousands, meaning innumerable numbers of angels in joyful assembly. You're going to come to all the saints, Old Testament, New Testament, people that you knew who were believers who have passed on before you. They're already there. And guess what? When your body goes into the grave, your spirit goes into the presence of God. And now everything that you're hearing about right now, you will experience. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter, one, or chapter 2, no eye is seen, no ear is heard. And no mind is conceived what God has prepared for those whom he loves. You can't, you haven't seen it, you haven't heard it, and you can't think of it on your best day. What is ready and waiting for you as a believer in Jesus Christ? It's the promise of eternal life. And Jesus just keeps repeating this over and over. You will have life. You will not die. You have eternal life in me. But then there's one more promise that he gives. He gives the promise of eternal life, but he also gives the promise of being raised to life. 
Look at verse 39. He says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, he goes on, he says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 44. He says, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 54. It says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. These are promises. Jesus says, in me, you have eternal life and you will be raised up on the last day. When your body dies, it goes into the grave. Your spirit goes to to heaven and and is with God. But there's going to come a time where Jesus is going to give a shout. And it says that the dead in Christ will be raised. Your body is coming out of the grave. And there will come a day when your body will be raised glorified and your spirit and body will be rejoined together. And you will dwell with God forever and ever. And the book, of, the book of Revelation says that the heaven that we will presently go to one day is going to be gone because he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And we will dwell with God in our resurrected bodies on a new earth that he's going to create. And the city of God's coming down to this new earth. And it says that God will dwell with his people and his people will dwell with him. Wow. That's coming. And I'm telling you, the way this world looks right now, it just seems like it's around the corner. Jesus is coming soon, and he is going to give the shout of the archangel. And I'm telling you, if you die before that day, the day of the rapture, you are coming up out of the grave. And your body's going to be resurrected. And it's going to be resurrected to a glorified body. And these are promises that Jesus is giving us. And so we have the provision. We have the promise. Here's the third thing. We have the procurement. The promise, the provision, now the procurement. Look at verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Look at verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. I really hope that these two verses will be nails to your faith, anchoring them to who Jesus is. I hope that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that these verses, that, that you will grasp these verses and anchor him to your soul. Because can I tell you how many people sit in churches and they are taught and they believe if you don't have your act together, if you sin, you will lose the grace of God and you can lose your salvation. How scary is that? How many people live in fear thinking, I sinned. Can I lose my salvation? How many people try to keep doing the right things and, 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 and they think if I, that, that I can lose the love of God, that, that God's always angry at me? And, and I, I, I can remember growing up, and when I turned 12, I, I grew up in the Presbyterian church, and I, re, I don't know why I can remember this distinctly. And I remember when I, the day I turned 12, now, I don't know if I was taught this or, or what, but I distinctly remember it. Um, it's, it's age of accountability. I better get my life right with God or else I, 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 I'm, I'm going to go to hell. So I kept, as a kid, would try to do the right things because I didn't want to go to hell. And I can remember um, my parents would go over to Oneida all the time. And so I was probably 12, 13 years old at this time. And I used to listen to ACDC as a kid. And I remember had my little, little Walkman, and I'm sitting there listening to Hell's Bells. And I'm walking down the sidewalk, and, 
you know, Hell's Bells was just playing. I'm singing along, and I come to this church. Hit stop. Walk past the church. Hit play. Because you can't be listening to Hell's Bells when you walk by a church. That will send you to hell. That's God's place. You don't listen to Hell's Bells in front of God's place. So I would turn it off, walk past the church, turn it back on. Because I was out of, I was out of harm's way then. It's okay to listen to it everywhere else. But that's the mentality I had growing up. And I believe a lot of people sit in churches with a mentality thinking, God's always angry at me because I, I, I still blow it. I still sin. Up, I'm, I, I can lose my salvation. Again, look at verse 37. Anchor this to your faith. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. But Jim, what if I blow it? I will never cast you out. This is why I love the Apostle Paul so much. Because when you read Paul, let me, uh, honesty time, did Paul have his act together? No. If you read the book of Philippians, you're going to read where Paul says, you know what? Here's what I want to do, man. I really want to, I want to, I want to suffer like Christ. I want to be like Christ. I want to die like Christ. I want to be so much like Christ. But then right after that, he reads, oh, by the way, I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. And, and I haven't been made perfect yet. And, 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 but here's what I do. I keep straining forward to make it my own. Meaning, how many of you know when you're straining, there's going to be days you're doing really well and days that you're not? He, Paul knew, he's like, I haven't got this perfection thing yet, but I'm going to keep pressing forward. And even in the book of Romans, chapter 7, he's like, the thing I want to do, I don't do it. The thing I don't want to do, I keep doing. When I want to do what is right, there is sin right there with me, and, and there's a war going on with me. I want to do what is right, but I do what is wrong. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I keep on doing it. And he sees the war, and he goes through chapter 7, and he comes to the first verse in chapter 8. And he's like, praise be to God, though, there is now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul was not perfect by any means. And he still struggled with his flesh. I know he did. Because it's on paper. But he was able to say, I am not condemned because I have Christ in my life. Jesus is saying, if you know me, I have procured who you're mine. You're not going anywhere. Ephesians chapter 4 says that you have been sealed for the day of redemption. You're his. Now, again, there's, there's people who will say, well, Jim, if you, you're just giving people license to sin when you say that you can't lose your salvation. And a lot of preachers say that. They believe that. Like, I got to preach that you can lose your salvation because people will just do what they want. Here's the thing. If you can truly live in sin... Like, you're just like, well, I, I, I believed in Jesus, but I'm going to live how I want. And you can live in sin, and you give no regard to the cross. You give no regard to what Jesus, you're not saved in the first place. Because if you can just live in sin and just live how you want, you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ. You're still living in for self and in sin. But if you can come to the place where you're like, man, I'm a mess. Jesus, forgive me. And you, you're like, Paul, I'm straining. On Monday, man, I'm straining ahead and I'm doing good. But on Tuesday, you blow it. Have you lost your salvation? Or, or are you coming back to God going, God, forgive me? You see, that is the person working out their salvation. That's the person who keeps pressing forward, straining ahead, trying to make that perfection my own. I want to be more like Christ, and I'm going to strain for that time. That's a person who is truly a believer in Christ, not perfect, but progressing. That's what this life is about. You will never get perfection on this side of heaven. But you keep progressing toward it. You keep progressing toward Christ-likeness. That's why I can stand up here and say, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you won't lose your salvation if you sin tomorrow. 
You won't lose. That's why Jesus says, if you know someone who sins against you seven times, forgive them seven times because that's what I will do. Jesus is not kicking you to the curb. He's not sending you out in the cold because you're still messed up. As long as you still you, you see your sin and you're repenting of it, you're confessing it, you're just saying, Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me, help me, work in me, do in me that I can't do. I'm telling you, he has you and he will never cast you out. He has procured your salvation. He has procured you. He's, he's, he's got you and you need to anchor that. You know, I love a... Isaiah 49, verse 15. It says, Can a woman forget a nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her moms? If you have kids, do you ever lose your compassion for your child? You lose your patience. But let me ask you, when your child is messing up, and that child comes back and says, Mom, forgive me. What do you do? You forgive them. You still embrace them. And if your child is, is acting up, do you ever say, that's it, I'm done. I no longer love you. Or do you go, you know what, you are a mess, but I still love you. Man, a mom is always compassionate. A mom is always loving. And Isaiah is saying, this is what God's love is toward us. Always compassionate. Always there. And he goes on. He says, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And I love this. Behold, I have engraved your name on the palms of my hands. When you come to know Jesus, that cross, those two nails, that's the engraving. When you know him as your savior, you are engraved on those palms because of the nails on that tree. That's why you can be confident in knowing, hey, I messed up today. And I'm probably going to mess up tomorrow. But because I know Jesus and I know he died for me, he is not casting me out. He bought you and he has you. So you have the provision, the promise, the procurement. And here's the fourth thing, the prompting. You got the prompting that God does. Look at verse 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent him draws him. The Holy Spirit right now, when, as the word is going forth, whether it's, it's the word of God, maybe it, it's something you see, somebody speaking to you. There are times where if it, that, that God speaks to you. The Holy Spirit prompts you. As an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit prompts your heart and will speak to you to say, come to Jesus. He's trying to open the eyes of your heart to the truth of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit will keep telling you, you're not finding satisfaction in your money. You're not going to find satisfaction in another relationship. You're not going to be satisfied in, in this thing or that thing. The Holy Spirit is going to keep telling you the real satisfaction comes when you know Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit will prompt you to come to that place where you're like, Jesus, I need you. You see, here's the thing that you and I need to understand. The provision, the promise, and the procurement are not automatic. God has performed the action. He has made all of that available to every single person, but it's not automatic. It's not automatically appropriated to you. The provision is there, the promise is there, and the procurement is there. But here's the thing. You've got to apply something. You've got to do something here. You see, here's the thing. There's nothing you and I can do for salvation, but you've got to do something. It's really weird to think that way. And here's what you got to do. There are four things, but it's not dependent upon your work. It's not about you being good enough. It's not about you being religious enough. It's not about you doing more generous things. It's what you do because of what Christ has done. And here are four things for our application. Four things real quick. And here's the first one. We have to come. The promise the procurement, the provision, it's all there, but you've got to come. Jesus is the bread, but you've got to take it. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to me. Look at verse 37. All the Father gives will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You've got to come to Jesus you got to have your come to moment, Jesus. 
come to Jesus moment. I'm like, that didn't make sense. You've got to have your come to Jesus moment in your life. You've got to come to that place where you're like, hey, I hear this, I see this, and you know what? I come to Jesus. I'm not coming to my good works. I'm not coming to my how good I am or, or what I do. I'm not coming to any of that. I'm coming to Jesus because he's the bread. I come to Jesus and I get eternal life. You have to come to Jesus. You don't go to anything else. You, don't, you realize, hey, nothing else can save me but only Jesus. I come to Jesus. Here's the second thing. We have to look. We have to come. We have to look. Look at verse 40. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. You have to look at Jesus. To look means this. It means to give attention to something with the implication of what is being observed is different or unusual. I found that very interesting that the, 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 the idea of looking means I'm looking at something because it's different. Jesus is different, okay? You see, the world says, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something and sincerely, everybody goes to heaven. All the religions say it's about what you do, and if you do it good, you do it right, you do it complete, you get to heaven. Everybody's on that same wavelength. Everybody's on that page. If you were to ask anybody, pretty much, hey, how do you get to heaven? I'm telling you, 90% of the people will say, by doing good works. By what I do, I'll, I'll get to heaven. And everybody says that, but Jesus is different. Jesus says, no, you don't get to heaven because you're good. You don't get to heaven because of your works. There's only one thing that gets you to heaven. There's only one thing that gets you to right with God. There's only one thing that gets you eternal life in the entrance into heaven. And this, that one thing is what? Jesus. You've got to come to me. You've got to look to me. And if you're coming to anything else or looking at anything else, you're not getting there. Jesus is different. That's why, why do, you think, why do you think the name of Jesus causes so much problems in people's lives? Why do you think when, if you, I'm telling you, you go into almost any place, you can talk about religion in a general sense. You can talk about, you know, you could talk about Buddha. You can say the name of, of, of Muhammad. Most people aren't going to care. But I'm telling you, you start talking the name of Jesus, people are going to have an issue with you. People at your job will say, you can't speak that name. You, you're, you, you can't say that because you're offending people. You go into the schools, teenagers, and you start telling, you just start, hey, can we read, read a little bit about Jesus today? You'll get, no, it's not happening. There's a problem with the name of Jesus. And the reason is, is because he is different. And you've got to look at him if you want eternal life. So you got to come. You have to look. Here's the third thing. You have to believe. Again, verse 35. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 40. This is the will of the Father, that everyone who comes to me believes in him should have eternal life. Believe, believe, believe. I have to come. I have to look. But here's the thing, I have to believe. Because these people, in verse 37, Jesus says, you have seen me, but you don't believe me. You've seen what I did. You, you, I'm telling you who I am, but you don't believe me. And here's the thing, you can come to church, and you can hear the truth, and you can hear who Jesus is, you can hear what Jesus did, but here's the thing, you don't have to believe. You can say, well, it sounds good, looks good, but thank you, but no thank you. And you can walk out and never believe in Jesus and you'll never have eternal life. If you want eternal life, you've got to come to Jesus, that he's the only way. You've got to look to Jesus, that he's different from everything else, and you've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to believe, Jesus, you came to die for me because I'm a sinner. You've got to believe that your sin separates you from God you got to believe that there's no other way that gets you to eternal life but through Jesus. And you got to come to the place where you put your faith alone in Jesus. Nothing else. Not in how good you are. Not in how many times you go to church in a year. Not anything. But accept putting your faith and belief in Christ 
alone as the only way to save you. You got to believe. And then lastly, you have to receive. You got to come, look, believe, and receive. Look at verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for life and the world is my flesh. Look at verse 53 now. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you eat of my flesh, of the Son of Man, and drink of my blood, you have no life in me. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. For, um, verse 55 For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus is like, look, you got to eat me. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now what? Now, again, if you were hearing that for the very first time, you'd be like, oh, dude, that's way too freaky. But that's what he's saying. Now, can I tell you this? Um, That it's not communion. Because he says, if you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have eternal life. So let me ask you, do you get saved because you took communion? No. Just because you can, I'm telling you, you can be someone sitting in church, take the bread, drink the cup, and you are not saved. Paul says you've already got to be saved before you partake. Jesus is saying, when you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, what he's saying is, is he's like, when you come to me, when you're looking at me, when you're believing in me, guess what you've got to do? You've got to receive me as your savior. You, you've, got to, you've got to take what I did on the cross and receive that for yourself. You've got to believe that my body was broken, that, that like bread being torn apart. My body was broken on that cross and that my blood forgives you of your sin. My blood is what cleanses you. So to receive Jesus is not a, he's speaking metaphorically to these people. To receive him is a spiritual act. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I receive you. I take you. I, Jesus, I accept you as my savior. It is yielding your life to him. Jesus, come into my life and be my savior. You see, it's not enough just to come. It's not enough just to get some more information. You have to appropriate all this stuff. You have to apply it in your life. You've got to come. There's no other way. You have to look. Jesus, you're different. You have to believe. Jesus, you're the only way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, I cannot be saved by any means, and you got to receive. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I can't save myself. So Jesus, come into my life. Be my savior. That's what you do. Nothing else. You come, you look, you believe, and you receive. And today, if you haven't done that, I'm telling you, you don't have eternal life. Jesus died on a cross for your sin. He died so that you could have eternal life. Because the reality is, all of us are going to die physically. And once you die physically, the Bible says there is no other chance. You die once, you're appointed to die once, and then you go to judgment. Right now, in this life, in this here and now, is your only time to come. To look, to believe, and to receive Jesus. And there's the thing. You and I aren't promised another moment. So many times, you know, people are like, well, I hear that, Jim, and I get it, you know what, but I'm just not ready yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wait for it until I'm, I'm going to clean my life up a little bit. I want to enjoy life a little more. I'll do that some way down the, down the line. Well, how do you know if you're going to get to that point? Because you don't. We're not promised tomorrow. That's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So today, I'm, 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 I'm speaking to you. And I don't know everybody's heart in here. The only people that know your heart is you and God. And you know whether or not you have given Christ your life. You know whether or not you have come, that you've looked at Jesus, you believe in him, and you've received him. Only you know that. But if you haven't done that, I would encourage you, you need to do that today.
I would encourage you. I'm going to pray for us. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just, I'm going to say a prayer. And, and as I pray, just under your breath, all of us just responsively, just response, just pray this prayer. And if you pray this prayer honestly from your heart for the very first time, when I'm out in that foyer, I want you to come to me and say, Jim, I prayed that prayer for the first time and I really want to know and I want to believe that Jesus is my Savior today. So if you would just bow your head and I'm just going to say this prayer and just, just there by yourself, you know, just whisper it. You don't have to say it very loud, but just say this prayer from your heart. Say this prayer to say, Jesus, I'm coming to you and, and a prayer of receiving him. So just repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I come to you today and I realize that I'm a sinner. I come to you today because I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I'm looking to you today because I believe there's no other way that I can be saved. Jesus, I come to you today and I ask that you will come into my life. I ask that you will fill me now with your holy presence. I ask that you will come into my life and be my savior. I ask that you will come into my life and be my Lord. I ask today that you will save me from my sin. And I ask today that you will start making me into the person that I'm supposed to be with you. I ask that you will mend that relationship between me and God now. And I thank you for saving me today. And I thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. In your name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer, and I want to believe that if you prayed it from your heart, truly saying, Jesus, come into my life, Come and talk to me out in the foyer because I would love to know that. So why don't we all stand? Let's, let's close.